Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pennsburg Podcast. I am Garrett Behanna, joined as always with Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks everybody for joining us for another week, another episode. Things are starting to look on the up and up for the Penguins, and uh, let's dive right into it. The most recent game the Penguins played was the 7-1 to thrashing of the cross-state rival Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, Jim, you uh, were on recap duty for Pennsburg. But really, you really didn't have to recap much after the first period of the game. It was it was pretty much done and dusted after the first period with the Penguins scoring uh, four goals in that opening frame. So, uh, Jim, this looks like uh, it, it looks like things are starting to finally getting back together. The, the cavalry is coming. We're finally getting reinforcements. Brian Dumoulin and Alex Galchenyuk were both uh, inserted back into the lineup in the game against the Philadelphia Flyers. This long nightmare is over. As much as the depth guys in the AHL helped us, uh, you know, the Adam Johnsons and the the Joseph Landeses, getting guys like Gauchenyuk and Dumoulin back, hopefully they're back for an extended period of time now. We don't have any more major injuries to any of these star players. But moving forward, after everything that the Penguins have gone through early on in the season, uh, getting wins when they had to and even beating some more surprising opponents, uh, Jim, but looking at this 7-1 to victory, did you find this kind of one very one-sided game surprising against the Philadelphia Flyers, knowing that this was the first time that these two teams had met this season? I did, and a lot of times in Penguins and Flyers games, there'll be huge momentum shifts that like the Pens will score the first two or three goals, and then Philly will come roaring back and try to tie it up or vice versa. So I... I mean, like you said, it it was over relatively quickly, but even when it's two or three nothing, you're thinking uh, maybe this is going to wake Philly up and they're going to get it together, get it in gear. But when Crosby scored to make it four nothing on that goal where he took the cross ice pass and just held it, held it, held it, and then fired top shelf at that point, like it is four nothing. And you could just see that any, any hopes the Flyers had, I, I'm sure that was a very deflating and just defeating goal. And, and from there it was all downhill, but yeah, it's great to to see these guys back. The Penguins still haven't had a full game of the roster that they actually want to have since Brian Russ missed all of this year up till now, and then Malkin got hurt before Russ got back. So we haven't seen the, the true team, which is going to present, I guess, some new challenges as far as what they want to do, because there's a very good problem to have right now that it looks like they have too many good players and not enough positions in the roster every night for them. And that's an interesting scenario you bring up. We'll segue right into it. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about, may, either jokingly or seriously, depending on what side of the fence you're on here, but a lot of people are of the mindset now that once Genny Malkin comes back, you know, Malkin may be back as soon as next game against the Edmonton Oilers. That's what he's hoping for. He's been hoping for that throughout the week. Uh, once Malkin comes back, he's obviously going to slot on that second line with Alex Gauchenyuk, but there's a worry amongst Penguin fans that the, the chemistry is going to be messed up. Uh, so, I, Jim, I don't personally buy this whole notion of chemistry being messed up. It may take a little while for uh, guys like Malkin and, you know, Dumoulin, Rust, for all of those guys to completely shake the rust off, no pun intended for when talking about Brian Rust, but for all, you know, all of those guys to finally get back in the groove. And, and you, you said it right then and there, you know, though the Penguins, you know, the, the lineup that they wanted to have for, you know, the, all, the entirety of this season, they haven't iced it yet for all of these guys to get healthy back on the ice for all of these good players that the Penguins have 
does this present a uh, a chemistry problem? You know, will guys not mesh with certain other forwards? Is it possible that the Penguins go into a little bit of a scoring lull or offensive lull because guys are still, you know, trying to find their their way back into their groove? I guess it depends on how you look at it. I mean, they're not going to score seven goals every game. No team does that. So I guess from that perspective, we'll have to, you know, readjust expectations accordingly. But I, I find it ridiculous to think that Malkin coming back is anything but a good thing. He was probably their best player that first game they had. The team wasn't very good, but he looked sharp and he looked focused. So, I mean, you're adding back up getting Malkin. That's always a positive. That's always a plus. That shouldn't even be a question. I think it could be like the 2016 season when he came back from injury in time for the playoffs and the HBK line had been established. And at that point, it didn't make the team worse. It just gave them an extra dimension, an extra option, and it helped make a line a little more dangerous. So hopefully that can be what goes on here with Galchenyuk, who hasn't done much at even strength yet, not that he's had the chance, but maybe those guys can get a niche or, or find a spot and help the offense out even more in different ways down the line here. Jim, really quickly, um, just to put a just to put an end to this, um, you know, the the Malkin return and everything like that coming up. Uh, who do you think would be the the odd man out? Uh, Sam Lafferty did not see the ice last night, according to the lineup that the Penguins iced. Uh, it was Dominic Cahoon, Jared McCann, Brian Rust on that third line. Zach Aston, Reese, Teddy Bluger, Brandon Tanev rounding out the fourth line there. Uh, presumably, no one in the top six is going to be taken out. Bukestad might be moved down to the third center role. Jim, my money would be on Zach Aston Reese to to get the boot for the time being. Once you put Malkin back in there, have Crosby, Malkin, Bukestad, McCann, Bluger. Uh, you can mix and match wherever you want to. Uh, Zach Aston Reese, he's had a little bit of an unlucky start to the season. He's slowly started to turn it around. There may be signs of life that offense is coming. But again, like you said, this is a good problem for the Penguins to have. So if you had to guess which player would be taken out if if and when Evgeny Malkin does come back. Right. Well, I mean, I, I think it's all but certain he's going to be back on Saturday. He practiced Wednesday with the contact jersey on and he's looking good. So I, I think that probably almost certainly will happen. But for me, it really comes down to how much do you like Jared McCann in the third line role and, as the center there? Because he's done pretty well, and if you want to keep Jared McCann as a center, then, I mean, I guess really based on merit alone, you probably would think that Bukestad is the guy you don't need, but he's only been back from injury for two games. I don't really see them scratching him, nor does that make a lot of sense. you got to give him some time to get into form. So if you like McCann as the center still, then you're going to have Bukestad, you're going to have Crosby, you're going to have Malkin. So that could make Teddy Bluger the odd man out. I do agree with you that I thought that Zach Aston Reese was kind of on the fringe when the season began, but he has been playing well. Like you mentioned, he scored last night against Philadelphia and he's putting things together. He can penalty kill. He does a lot of stuff that they like there. So I think Zach Aston Reese has done enough, especially they've, they've gone to some lengths to keep the Aston Reese, Bluger, Tanev line together. I think they like those guys, even though I suggested maybe Bluger's out. So I think Aston Reese is fine. I also thought maybe a week or two ago that Cahoon kind of could be the odd man out, just the numbers game getting pushed out since he wasn't producing a lot. But in the past two or three games, he actually is producing a lot. So he's definitely going to have to stay in and deserves another chance. So for me, I think it's do you shift McCann to the wing? If so, I guess maybe, maybe 
do scratch Aston Reese? I don't know. It's a head scratcher. But I kind of foresee maybe it's Teddy Bluger and not because of his performance at all, just because they have other centers they like in Crosby, Malkin, Bukestad, and McCann. And then just for numbers alone, that it could be Bluger as the odd man out. But we'll have to see how they do and what they want to do with it. And Jim, you, you mentioned a player that I want to talk about right now, and that player is Dominic Cahoon. Uh, we, we brought up the other Dominic on last week's podcast uh, and, you know, whether he was worth it or not, uh, if Dom Simone, was it, was he worth staying on that top line with Sidney Crosby and Jake Ensel? And one week later, uh, when we're recording this episode, I, I still firmly believe that Simone should be on that top line with Sidney Crosby and Jake Ensel. Don't mess with that as long as, you know, it's still running uh, on all cylinders. But going back to the original point, looking at Dominic Cahoon, um, you said, you know, maybe a week or two ago he would have been the odd man out, you know, just because he wasn't producing. And uh, he had come out, he had talked, there was a there was an article that I had linked in a recent edition of Pence Points where uh, Cahoon had come out and said, you know, I have to start producing. You know, th- this is obviously not the start any of, any of us imagined that Cahoon would get off to. And he was acquired, I wouldn't say it's massively high-profile trade, but he was acquired for Ole Mata back in the summer. And you'd think, you know, shipping off a veteran like Mata for a guy like Cahoon, you and and the fact that Cahoon did produce quite well in the Blackhawk system last year. Dominic Cahoon has registered um, four points in his last two games, and uh, he ha- he registered a goal and two assists against the Flyers, and he registered, I believe it was, an empty net goal against the Dallas Stars. But a goal is a goal if you if you were in a rut like Dominic Cahoon has been. Uh, Jim, how important is Dominic Cahoon's production going to be if he continues to finally work his way out of this slump? How big of a presence could he be uh, in the bottom six? He'd be a huge presence because he's a lot of what the Penguins were looking for this summer when they remade their team. They wanted to get younger. He's 24 years old. He's got some speed. He can chip in from time to time, as we're seeing now on a bottom six line. So I think he's everything they're looking for as far as having a little bit of skill, a little bit of speed, a guy who's pretty versatile, who can do a lot of things, good away from the puck. But yeah, he he needs to, obviously, if you're a forward in the NHL these days, you're not going to be sticking around if you're not scoring. And I don't think he penalty kills too much either. So he's a guy that's in there to provide some even strength offense. And if there's secondary options like him and Brian Rust and Patrick Hornquist, that are helping, you know, find the score sheet a lot, then that obviously makes the Penguins very, very tough to control and tough con- to contain because you know that Crosby and Gensel and Malkin are going to get theirs. And if those guys down the line are chipping in and helping out, I think that's what the Penguins, exactly what they are looking for this summer when they were trying to get a little deeper and a little more well-rounded and really have better third lines and fourth lines. So Cahoon really should be a big part of that. I really like what you said said earlier this team, if they're all healthy, kind of being reminiscent of the 2016 championship run. Again, it, it goes back to having a lot of good players, and Mike. Sull- it's up to Mike Sullivan to, to figure out who, who has the hot hand if he rides the hot hand for a particular player, uh, You know who works where on what line uh, with, with, with uh, other complementary players. It's going to be really interesting um, now that Evgeny Malkin is set to return uh, obviously, he's not going to be touched. He's going to be in, on that second line with Galchenyuk. But this is, you know, like I said at the start of the show, this is what we had been waiting for. And if we can get a five to ten game sample size, granted that's not very large, but if we can get a five to ten game sample size of this roster as it was meant to be constructed over the next, however, what two to three to four weeks, 
heading into Thanksgiving or Christmas, they're already the, the Penguins are already eight and five, and they've weathered a very strong storm as it pertains to the injuries that they've suffered. If they can head into Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, racking off some more points if everyone's healthy, things could look very, very interesting in the Metropolitan Division heading into the new year and obviously heading into the end of the season. We're looking way too ahead here. But, you know, the, the Penguins obviously like to look towards April. You, you know, you, you don't think of the Penguins not looking towards April in a long playoff run, especially after the disaster of last year. But if they, like I said, if, if they get into a good groove heading into the new year, things could look very interesting uh, as it pertains to playoff positioning in the Metropolitan Division. What do you think? Yes, I think that is well said. Uh, and that's really what they're building for. It's a long season to get there. But I think that's certainly the goal. And like you mentioned, too many good players, that's what they're looking for. And part of the reason they helped themselves out is they traded a bad player since we made the last podcast, haven't they? Oh, what a great segue there, Jim. <laughs> you, you know, you really set that up. I, I'm going to knock it right down. Knock yes, it they, on down. They, they traded a bad player for essentially nothing. So let's let's talk let's talk about this trade. The Penguins traded Eric Goodbranson since our last podcast for a 2021 seventh round pick and a career AHLer Andreas Martinson from the Anaheim Ducks. And uh, Jim, you you mentioned it. This is obviously a positive move for the Penguins in terms of player personnel who you're icing on a nightly basis. But the nature of the trade was a pure salary dump. And um, really, I don't think anything anything bad came from this move. I think. Jim Rutherford, we all knew, we all knew that a trade had to be had to be made. It was most likely going to be a defenseman. And I think the Penguins got lucky looking at it fr- from the Ducks' point of view. They had suffered a lot of injuries on that blue line. You know, I think it was only a matter of time. I, th- I think Jim Rutherford has a good relationship with the Anaheim Ducks organization. He's obviously made quite a number of trades with them over his Penguins tenure. So they ship out Goodbranson for a draft pick and uh, a guy who you might be able to call on if you really had some problems with your forwards, call on and, and see what he could do up in the NHL. But Jim, do you have anything to add about uh, Goodbranson no longer being a Pittsburgh Penguin? Yeah, I think we're all glad the that the carrying nine defenseman charade is over. Something had to give and it finally did. Um I actually heard a little skinny, a little inside news that Cat Friendly has Evgeny Malkin on the long-term injury reserve. But what I have heard and what's going around is apparently the Penguins have never announced Evgeny Malkin on long-term injury reserve, only Brian Rust, who they took off. And the day before they took Brian Rust off of that, they traded Gabranson so he could fit. And that was the reason that a lot of the players that got called up were on emergency loan, because that has some connotation of how they apply to the salary cap. It's real, it's real like high detailed stuff that I won't get into totally because I don't understand it myself. I just know what I was told. But the bottom line is uh, the way the Penguins have managed their salary cap this year has been really, really smart. Actually, the way they use Brian Rust on long term reserve and not needing to put Malkin on it is a good thing and also trading Gabranson now opens up a lot of cap space now and uh on Wednesday Elliot Friedman in Sportsnet on his column said that quote Pittsburgh is absolutely going to add it's just a matter of when GM Jim Rutherford decides to is also believe an extension with Marcus Pedersen is all but done he can't sign until January 1st at the earliest unquote and 
we've heard that kind of too, that as a reward more or less for Pedersen signing his one-year deal worth not a lot of money, that supposedly I heard there's a signed contract in Rutherford's desk for Pedersen that both sides have agreed to, but it can't be announced or, or made official until January 1st. So I would totally expect in about two months we'll be talking the official and the details on the Pedersen extension. And then um, now with the Penguins, $3 million under the cap about, give or take, that will grow too every day as we go because you can save the, the money you're not using. So that uh, opens up a lot of possibilities too as far as what Rutherford and the Pens can add down towards the deadline, and I know we have a mail-time question about that, so I'll save that for later. But I think that that's very intriguing now that by clearing Rutherford, if you ignore, like, well, why'd you acquire him less than a year ago anyways, and that kind of asset management question, but just look at it purely from the financials. Uh, the Ducks did the Pens a huge, huge favor by taking on that $4 million contract, and Pittsburgh did not have to retain anything on Goodbranson. The Pens were lucky that Anaheim has suffered a lot of injuries, and Anaheim's wounds are kind of self-inflicted because they traded Pedersen to the Pens in the first place. So, yeah, I think everything came together at just the perfect time, especially when Russ was getting healthy to ship Goodbranson out when you didn't need him at all. And um, kind of behind the scenes, underneath the water, I think the Pens have done a really, really good job with their cap. And moving forward, they should be in a very advantageous position to be free to kind of operate how they want. So that is what I got for that. Look at you, Jim. You're, you're kind of breaking scoops on the Pensbrook podcast. All the nuggets. I got the nuggets today. I can't believe it. Wow. This is, you know, if you if you haven't listened to the Pensbrook podcast before, I think, you know, after what Jimmy had just said, you know, I think this is a pretty good indication, you know, don't mess with the Pensbrook podcast. We're, we're breaking right. some news here. <laughs> But no, Jim, I completely agree with you. You know, I think we had talked, if we hadn't talked on the podcast, we had talked uh, in either text or email or what have you. It was only a matter of time before the Marcus Pedersen extension was going to get announced if it hadn't already been completed. And as you had just alluded to, it sounds like everything in, in that on that front is taken care of just until the start of the new year. Uh, like and Now, like you said, the, the Penguins have some salary cap to, to move around with. That's going to be very interesting uh, looking towards the trade deadline to see who they bring in, who they possibly ship out. And like you said, we have a mailbag question to get to in just a couple of moments. But one last thing I want to add before we switch our segment is now that Goodbranson is out, what do we have to do to get the hockey gods on our favor to get Jack Johnson out of a Penguins uniform? Well, I, I know we've, we've talked about it, so I'm kind of half-jokingly referring to Jack Johnson at this point. I don't know if anyone's going to take on that contract, possibly by the deadline, but we'll, we'll see. But half of that, that half of that nightmare on that bottom pairing is thankfully come to a conclusion Erica Branson no longer a part of the Penguins organization. And I wish for him all the best. You know, he, he came in here and played relatively well in his very short time here, especially early on when he was acquired from the Canucks. It, you know, and Jim Rutherford even admitted to it in a media scrum. You know, he had just called uh, Good Branson's contract a cap casualty in the business that they operate in. And I'm sure if it was up to Jim Rutherford, he probably wanted to keep Eric Branson for his size and uh, the, the lack of big bodied guys and quote unquote enforcers that the Penguins have. Uh, that's another topic that we probably don't want to get into right now. Uh, do the Penguins have an enforcer on the team? Uh, Jim, I don't know. You probably know my stance. I'm not a huge enforcer guy. I don't think the Penguins need an enforcer, but I digress. 
Uh, Jim, if you don't have anything else to add on the good Branson or breaking news front, for a matter of fact, geez, I mean, why don't you steal all my lightning? Why don't we switch gears into that mailbag segment that we were just referring to? Uh, if you're a first-time listener, long-time listener, and you're interested in getting involved with our Pennsburg mailbag segment, you can do just that by following us and tweeting at us at our Pennsburg podcast Twitter account. That is at Pennsburg Pod on Twitter. Every week we will post a, a mailbag thread, mailbag tweet that turns into a thread for any type of question that you, our listeners, want to ask. Uh, no topic, uh, no topic, no question is off topic. Uh, we, we've had a lot of fun with this since the start of the season. We have some very interesting questions for you today. And uh, Jimmy, I'll, I'll let you take the first answer here. The first question comes from longtime loyal listener, Sammy Bagel Jr., and he's back with this. You, you guys might as well just name this the Sammy Bagel Jr. question time. But he goes on to say, you have the opportunity to make one realistic, and he did his best to embolden realistic, one realistic trade. Who do, who do you trade for who, i.e. depth for depth, or top line player for top line player? Thanks, as always, Sammy, for writing in. We appreciate it. Um, this is where it gets a, a lot more fun because a lot more avenues are open now because the Penguins have cap space and they didn't before. And that is really the key in the NHL today. If you have it, you can use it. You can utilize it. You can flex your muscle. If you don't, you're kind of out of luck. And they've been out of luck for a while. Um, if I had to pick one realistic trade that I would want to make, that I would be hopeful for, is um, I think the only thing they're missing on this team, their forward group is great. They have a couple of good goalies. Their top four defense is fine. Is like Garrett mentioned a little earlier, the whole Jack Johnson thing. I don't know if they'll be able to trade him and get out of the last three and a half years of that contract. But that doesn't mean he has to play. He can be a healthy scratch like he was in game one of the playoffs. So I think my dream trade right now is really if they would take it. Um, I saw Calgary has TJ Brody, the defenseman, who's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. And I don't know if they're going to be able to resign him. So would they be interested in a Nick Bugstad? The salary is about the same. Would it take Brian Rust? I'm not saying I would do it, but I think maybe you should think about it. Or, you know, Zach Aston Reese and a pick or something like that. But that would be probably my, I think, ideal is is upgrade. If you bring in Brody, you pair him with John Marino on your third pair. And then to me, I think the Penguins are a very well-rounded team at that point, if you can pull that off. What about you, Garrett? You got anything top of mind for a uh, trade? I'm trying to think. The Penguins... As they current, if if like if like you said, if they go and scratch Johnson, like now we're thinking really far ahead. If they get into the playoffs, they're pretty comfortably set in terms of playoff positioning. If they scratch Johnson like they did last year, I I think you know. Granted, they don't have Phil Kessel anymore. I, I don't think they're that many pieces off from really contending for another championship. Maybe one more before this window shuts. I know everyone, including myself, I I hate to frame it that way. So I don't know if they need another big star. TJ Brody, I like that name, but that was a name that I wasn't even considering. Uh, and obviously things are going to change between now and the actual trade deadline. If I was going to make a move, it would probably be for depth, depth for depth. I don't know if the Penguins really need to overhaul the top six or the top four defense in any way. Um, I can't. I don't even know. I don't even. I don't have, I have any one. Names. I have one more crazy one for you. And sure, everyone. You got to go with the biggest name, and the biggest name that could be out there, Taylor Hall is a free agent at the end of this year. 
Jersey's been trying to sign him. You know, that's been back and forth and different reports that maybe it's not going so well. And the Devils are kind of towards the bottom of the standings. If they can't sign him, would they let him walk? And especially if it looks like they're out of the playoffs. So, I mean, Ray Shero in New Jersey, um, you know, what's he going to want? Probably a young prospect or two like Sam Poulin, their first round pick, Kalen Addison, a second round pick, a future first round, maybe Brian Rust on top of that. You know, if you're going to go crazy and swing for the fences, what about a top line of like Taylor Hall, Sidney Crosby, Jake Gensel, you know? So I don't think that's very likely to happen, but I mean, I think anything could be possible with the cap space. I don't know if, if the price would be worth it for pure rental because surely they wouldn't have the money to sign them. But I think if you're going to swing for the fences that Taylor Hall is a name that's probably not in play for Pittsburgh, but he could be in play for the market. And, you know, if he's out there, if he's available, Jim Rutherford will probably move heaven and earth to try to figure out a way to see if, if there's a fit there. Oh, Jim, now you have my gears moving in my yeah. head. I'm trying to think, like, what? I, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. I, and, you know, you, you kind of said it yourself. Yeah, I mean, 5% unlikely. chance probably. You know, I'm not saying get a jersey or anything now by any means. But, wow, that would be holy smokes. I mean, Tyler Hall was the MVP, what, uh, last year or two years ago for the Devils? And, you know, the Devils really didn't do much uh, in terms of playoff. I, I mean, oh, my. It would be a pure rental, but, oh, my goodness, that top line of – Paul Crosby and Gensel. Anyway, I'll save that fantasy for another day. Uh, Jim, I think you have a question for me now. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks to Katie for tweeting in for us. And she writes, as I am an infamous, infamous for doing, I want to take the situation and make it way more dramatic. If you can make one dream trade, but you're not making the playoffs for five years, who do you who do you trade for who? I.e. Jack Johnson for Jordan Stahl because I love him. Hmm. All right, good luck. Uh, oh, uh, well, Penguins aren't making the playoffs for five years if we make this this trade, but I can trade for basically anybody in the league. Yeah, you just uh, trade Jack Johnston for Connor McDavid. <laughs> you know, as I was, you know, you, you basically just took the words right out of my oh, mouth. Sorry. <laughs> why, well, you know, why wouldn't it be any other player than Connor McDavid? I mean, five years from now, let, okay, let, hypothetically, let's say the trade is made in February 2020 uh, at the trade deadline for this year, but the Penguins don't make the playoffs for the next five years. Um, what That would put Crosby at, what, like 37 and 37, Malkin? 38, yeah. So I don't know if that's a good idea, but it's a fun hypothetical. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, you would have to go McDavid for Johnson at that point, get out of Johnson's contract and uh, bring, in, bring in Connor McDavid. I mean – Realistically, if that were to happen, I mean, you'd really have to uh, you really have to take a look at the salary cap and and really find a way. I mean, I'm sure it could be done. You'd have to ship out more than just Jack Johnson to get McDavid under the salary cap in Pittsburgh. But if Crosby and Malkin are still here, you know, they have one or two years left. By the time they're 37, 38, 39, bring in Connor McDavid, who would still be in the prime of his career. Uh, yeah, I, I would do that in a heartbeat. That would be very, very fun. Uh, Jim, do you have uh, do you have anybody that you would want to make a dream trade for? Ooh. Well, I'm such a realist. I I wouldn't trade the next five years of Crosby and Malkin because it's probably the last five. I so agree I, I think I would be okay with not making the trade. But it, if I had to, yeah, I mean, I would probably get Connor McDavid. And, yeah, for sure. And then maybe you keep Crosby and Malkin for a few years, or you even trade them for young players too, and try in five years for 
for glory again. I don't know. That's that you can get kind of deep with that. Fantasy is just that. It is fantasy, unfortunately, as depressing as that sounds. Uh, our last question is from Cole Del Vecchio. He is back again this week with this question, and we'll end the podcast with a really fun question here. Which NHL mascots could Iceberg beat in a fight? Well, one I hope he would beat is Thunderbug, the Tampa Bay Lightning mascot. I went down to a game there one time and they had like kids on the ice during intermission and they weren't even like fully suited up in hockey gears and helmets and they had to do something. They were either like bouncing a ball or kicking a ball or something. And the Thunderbug mascot would take out the kids onto the ice, like little kids, four, five, six years old, and just knock them over. I I don't know how that was supposed to be like make their own fans happy or something. That rubbed me the wrong way. And I saw that was Thunderbug. I think if you like Google his name, Back then, he got like into a fight with a Boston Bruins fan. So I think oh they fired God. the guy who was in that costume. And I think they've switched chain. They since changed up the mo of, of what Thunderbug does. But I would like to see Iceberg, you know, take him to town. <laughs> I did some pretty in-depth research for this question, and I'm currently looking at a list of all of the current NHL mascots. Yeah, who you got? Uh, let's see. Now this is based on a ranking system from the Hockey News website. Um, Al the Octopus, uh, even though the, the Red Wings are a very storied franchise, I could see, I could see Iceberg, you know, beating the, yeah, he would just eat the octopus. That's yeah. easy for a penguin. The, the, the Dallas stars mascot, his name is Victor E green. Oh yeah. That guy's corny. Uh, so yeah, I could, uh, yeah, that's, that would be taken care of pretty, pretty nicely. Uh, Stormy, the Carolina mascot. Carol- Isn't that Carolina. a pig for some reason or something? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, uh, let's see. Louis the Bear in the Saints for the St. Louis Blues. That would be pretty tough for Iceberg to handle a, a bear versus uh, a, a penguin. Uh, let's see here. Hunter the Lynx for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, that would be another. That'd be pretty. Yeah, that thing looks possessed too. I, I would, I think I'd have to go with him. Sparky the Dragon for the New York Islanders. Uh, well, considering dragons are mystical creatures, although they could, Sparky might be able to breathe fire. Uh, so th- that might be a pretty one-sided fight. I just scrolled past Thunderbug. That looks incredibly uh, disturbing. That picture, but uh, he doesn't look threatening at all. Carlton the Bear. That's another bear for the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs. Uh, bear on Penguin Warfare. That is not good. Chicago Blackhawks mascot Tommy Hawk. Uh, I could see uh, the iceberg, you know, beating the crap out of this bird. Stinger for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, some sort of insect, I guess. Yeah, I could see him getting squashed. But what about the final boss of the mascots? You know who is going to be? Is it going to be Bailey from the LA Kings? N- oh, he's he's good on Twitter. But yeah. no, I was thinking the Orange Menace, the Bell of the Ball that everyone loves oh, except gr- me. Well, you hate gritty. I do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I was, I was just doing, I was doing an interview with Broad Street Hockey the other day in preparation for uh, the, the game against the Flyers, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up gritty in some form or fashion, but I, I, I just, I, I, I had talked a lot of smack on that podcast, so I didn't want to bring gritty, gritty into the conversation. I, I think, yeah, I think Iceberg could handle you. On the other hand, you, you I mean, if you had the opportunity to shoot Gritty into the sun, you wouldn't hesitate. Oh, so, fire, fire away! Yeah, fire the cannons, get them out of here. Yeah, uh, let's see, Sharky, uh, S.J. Sharky. Let's see, 
wild thing for the Ducks. They have Bailey the Lion ranked as the number one NHL mascot on this ranked list. Uh, that's you know, he, like you said, Jim, he's pretty good on Twitter, so it's kind of hard to make the argument against Bailey the Lion. He has also stirred up quite a bit of beef with some celebrities over the past, most notably CM Punk. If you're any any wrestling fans out there, that's been a fun feud to follow. But uh, Jim, I digress. I think we've gotten off topic talking about mascots quite a bit. Do you have anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, I think that's it. I'm going to believe in my headcanon that Iceberg would take down Gritty so that I can be happy for the rest of the day, especially since the Pens just smacked the Flyers 7-1. to one. Hopefully Iceberg would smack Gritty around us as well. I would have to agree with you. Uh, it's, nice, it's nice for the Penguins to always thrash the Flyers on the ice. And uh, if the mascots got into it too, I would I would place a wager on Iceberg as well. Uh, but for Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Before we go, I will plug all of our wonderful social medias. You can find uh, Hooks Orpic on Twitter at Hooks underscore Orpic. You can find me on Twitter at G Bahanna, at G-B-E-H-A-N-N-A. Uh, follow along and get notified every time a new Pennsburg podcast episode gets released by following our Pennsburg podcast on Twitter at Pennsburg Pod. Uh, follow our main Pensburg account at Pensburg. This podcast goes out to all major podca- podcasting platforms. I believe we're on uh, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, uh, also on Pensburg's main site. Uh, I'll put out an article every time a new uh, podcast gets released. Uh, but Jim, I think, think, I think that does it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. So for Hooks Orpic, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.